Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 2nd, 2019. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? We are still here at CinemaCon, the annual convention of movie theater owners, where Hollywood comes and shows off their latest wares and show- showcases the next year plus of their slates. Uh, tonight... We got to see the presentation from Warner Brothers Studio. Uh, we already recorded a podcast for STX Films this morning. Mm-hmm. You, if you're listening to this, you probably heard that. Yep. And we were kind of, uh, I don't know, it was a lackluster uh, presentation. I feel like this presentation kicked my butt. Yes. Oh, yeah. There yeah. was so much in here and yeah. so much that I think people are going to care a lot about. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all of it, including the DC films, including It Chapter 2, so uh, stick with us, and we'll talk about the, all these films Warner Brothers has, uh, you know, in production or you know in post production. Uh, let's start off first with DC because they kind of came out of, of the gate. Actually, one of the most interesting things I learned today was that Aquaman is the second largest film in the history of Warner Brothers with 1.14 billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, that's pretty insane. I had no idea it made that much money. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so they started out with this DC montage. 
kind of showcasing what they have in development in uh, the DCEU, if that's even a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, first up was like Shazam. We've already talked enough about that. We don't yes. need to talk about it here. We both saw it. You heard about it on the podcast. Let's talk about Birds of Prey and the emancipation. The fantabulous emancipation fan- of one Harley Quinn, I think is the subtitle. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Margot Robbie is reprising a role as Harley Quinn in this. Uh, we were told that she's not really a member of the Birds of Prey, so that is kind of interesting. The um, the design of this is very bold. Mm-hmm. Uh, bright colors, neon colors, uh, very scrappy looking. Yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it was so fast. This was maybe one of the fastest little bursts of footage that we saw in the entire Warner Brothers presentation. But from what I was able to glean, I it was it was like a mixture of actual footage from the movie and like a sort of featurette style behind the scenes yeah. interviews with a lot of the people involved. So in terms of the actual footage, there's one shot that sticks out to me, which was like a close-up of, I think it was Harley Quinn wearing roller skates behind uh, a vehicle that was moving. It was like Marty McFly style, <laughs> with her, like, sh- uh, sparks like shooting out from her rollerblades. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think the, the neon, the bold colors and everything, it's like they're taking a much brighter color palette than what they had with Suicide Squad, which was her first film appearance as a live-action character, and really just like upping the saturation of everything. It's not, it's not that dull, almost gray look um, that, that the DC movies, you know, ha- have largely been defined as. This is like a big, sort of more of a, a popping kind of look to it. Yeah, it also is, it looked like large-scale production design. Everything we saw was kind of like big-scale sets that were obviously constructed for this movie. It, you know, these are not not places that exist in reality. And, and by the way, when, when I say, when, when you're describing the, the bold look of this film, it looks like a music video to me. Like it looks like a '90s yeah. music video, mm-hmm. um, which is not in a bad way. I'm saying that's yeah. kind of uh, in a cool way. Although I kind of wonder, like ten years from now, are we going to look back at movies like this and Skull Island and be like the way we look back at um, like Tony Scott movies from the '80s? Oh, interesting. Uh, well, I hope so because I kind of love a lot of those Tony Scott <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we didn't get to see much from that, so we got to move on to Wonder Woman '84 or is it WW '84? Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. The logo is WW84. Yeah. Um, okay, so this was kind of featurette with uh, Patty Jenkins talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, she explained... What did she explain? Um, she talked about how this was a standalone story, which is something that she said in the press a lot lately. There was, like a, a, again, a bunch of brief flashes of footage, and this one was sort of like a mixture of behind-the-scenes stuff as well, but this one was like uh, some shots of uh, Gal Gadot as Diana on wires like jumping through the streets or flying through the streets or you know some sort of propelling herself in some sort of Wonder Woman-esque way Um, there's a romantic shot of her walking along the that water bank whatever that's called in front of the Washington Monument mm -hmm. with uh, Steve the reflecting pond or something like that I don't know yeah um, you know the one, the one that yes. uh, Forrest Gump gets into? Yeah, I think yeah. so. <laughs> um, and there's these shots from this mall, which I think we've seen tons of set photos and some real stuff from. Yes. Where she's fighting someone with the lasso of truth. And yeah. The, the action in that looks um, so much different than Wonder Woman did. I feel like Wonder Woman kind of inherited the kind of style and aesthetics of Zack Snyder. And this feels like Patty Jenkins. It feels more modern. It feels more in, like more 
fresh. Yeah, it could just be the editing of this trailer, but I got that same feeling too. It's like she's stepping out and sort of establishing her own pacing and and uh, energy to this movie, and instead of you know being under the umbrella of something that already existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you What do you think about the look of the of the footage? There's this one amazing shot where Wonder Woman is like in a mall, jumping across like an atrium from one top level down to another level, and the yeah. the lasso of truth is like spinning wild. And it's also a classic like '80s mall where yeah. it like has that like that architecture. It, it looked awesome to me. I'm I'm totally I'm totally in. Yeah. Um, and it ended with the shot of her like running down the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and Kristen Wiig as. Uh, Forget the villainess's name. Yeah. So like Cheetara or Cheetah. I think they or said like it said that. in the the footage that she's sometimes her friend, sometimes her enemy. Mm-hmm. So is he your frenemy? I guess. Yeah, and there's one shot of her where she's wearing sort of like a, a leopard print jacket, and then another shot of her. I think it was her throwing a, a security guard through like the the White House halls. So it seems like this movie is more overtly political than the first one. Um, but yeah, we'll have Apparently. to see how it goes. But I'm, I'm excited about what I saw. Yeah. Uh, Todd Phillips came out to talk about the Joker, and he uh, it felt like he was calling us out because <laughs> he he basically said there's been a lot of chatter about what this film is and isn't, and a lot of it has not been very accurate or something like that. Yeah, to paraphrase, and uh, he even said when Warner Brothers Marketing asked him uh, to describe the movie, he told them he couldn't. Yeah, and uh, when asked what genre the movie is, and he had to think long and hard, and he said tragedy, and he thinks that Joaquin Phoenix would also agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 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 uh, descri- you know that genre. So, uh, how do we describe this trailer? I mean, it's going to be online probably tomorrow I think morning. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, so, so people, people are will be see able it. to see that. But I think uh, so. Instead of getting into just the beat by beat of it, because people will be able to see it for themselves shortly. What did you think of the general vibe of it? You know, I was kind of surprised. It, has this very like taxi driver like 70s New York City where it's kind of like very dirty mm-hmm. and uh, like vibe that I wasn't expecting and also like a sadness to it it was very yeah. like I don't know there's just one shot of him dancing with this older woman in a living room I think maybe it's his mom I don't know mm-hmm. who that is there's just like him getting beat up on like the subway it's, yeah, it's very yeah. like sad it doesn't come off as a comic book movie although i will say you know he was wearing his clown outfit for most of it and at the end it reveals him like in the full-on joker yeah i think there's going to be a lot in this movie for people to dig into and todd phillips is a guy who has has explored masculinity on on film in a lot of his movies even going back to like one of his first like his student film or is like a um i think it's called frat party or something like that it's it's about these these frat guys and you know, obviously he's made movies like Old School and tons of stuff that have male protagonists and, and he's been sort of on the forefront of like bro culture, I think. But this movie seems to examine masculinity in a little bit of a different way. You're talking about how sad it looks and, and Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, or his name is Arthur in this movie, just gets his ass kicked over and over again in this trailer. So I wonder if there's some sort of larger comment that, that Todd Phillips has on the state of the human male in the year 2019 or something. It's, it'll be interesting to see what people can can uh, read into with that. And I actually ended with Arthur had this quote from him saying, I used to think my life was a tragedy, but now I know it's a comedy. Which I think is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, we got to move on because that is probably online. You can see that now and probably react to it yourself. Um, they showed a trailer for The Good Liar. This is something I didn't really know about. This is a film from 
director Bill Condon starring Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren and um, I don't even really know what this is it's a mysterious thriller uh, they they basically came on stage in the beginning of it and were basically saying uh, the whole of this movie depends on audiences not knowing twists that happen in this movie especially final twists so but the trailer didn't really even tell me much about the movie other than people have secrets yeah, it's based on a book, and it looks like it, it opens up with Helen Mirren and uh, Ian McKellen online dating, or meeting in a, through an online dating service, and then it's sort of like the worst nightmare of anybody who who meets up with somebody through online dating. That person is not who, who they claim to be, but Ian McKellen looks like a spy or something, and it's very, it's an adult drama, and it looks like... Uh, you know, like the the music is super dramatic, and it, it seems like a very twisty, interesting story. I'm I'm super intrigued by this. And like you, I had no idea that this movie even existed before we saw this footage. The other thing I want to say is, uh, other studios need to take a cue from this. Like, uh, you know, the STX presentation was hosted by you know Adam Fogelman, the mm-hmm. head of the studio. This was hosted by Aisha Tyler. Yes. Like, you actually have some on-air talent, someone that knows how to joke, to play with the punches. There were some like tech mess-ups during this presentation, but yes. she just kept it going and made it good. And next came out onto stage himself, Detective Pikachu. And I'm not talking about Ryan Reynolds, but <laughs> as a hologram, Detective Pikachu came on uh, stage to kind of hype up his own movie. And... Um, yeah, they showed a, a scene. Yeah, it was movie? basically like an extended interrogation scene of uh, Justice Smith's character and Detective uh, Pikachu interrogating somebody called Mr. Mime, I think was his name. Yeah, it's a uh, clown-looking uh, Pokemon, and they're trying to do a good cop, bad cop, but they're doing it badly, yeah. as always happens with those things. Yeah, it was amusing. What did you think about yeah. it? And Justice Smith's character is like using mimes to communicate with Mr. Mime. And yeah, his whole thing is like the that Pokemon can create actual um, like walls. You know how mimes like yeah. pretend like they're trapped in in walls and stuff. This character cr- can create those things, but they're invisible because he's a mime. But Justice Smith sort of like tries to get into that Pokemon's head and and get him to deliver the information that the that he and Detective Pikachu are trying to yeah. get. So he like basically pours fake gasoline on him and threatens to light <laughs> a fake match and the guy the mime finally gives up the info that they're looking for. So uh, yeah, I mean again, I'm shocked in that in the year of our Lord 2019, I'm actually quasi interested in a live action <laughs> Pokemon movie, but here we are. Well, see, I feel like I would be interested in a Pokemon movie. I'm just I'm surprised I'm interested in a, de- depect- a detective Pokemon, a <laughs> yeah. Pikachu movie. Yeah. Like, that just seems, it seems so weird. I will say that this was a fun scene, but it wasn't as cr- crazy. Well, I guess it is crazy, but, like, I feel like the trailers <laughs> have impressed me more. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Um, then Melissa McCarthy came out dressed as a dragon alongside her husband, Ben... Falcone, I think yeah. is his last name. And uh, they, you know, doing this bit that they thought they were at Comic-Con and then were informed they're at CinemaCon. And it, it really felt flat. Yikes. Uh, but then they presented a trailer for their uh, next comedy, Super Intelligence. This is directed by McCarthy's husband, who, uh, I don't know, I think is a bad influence on her. I feel yes. like she does some exceptional work uh, even in the you know drama and comedy spaces but I feel like the stuff that she does with her husband I hate to like 
I don't know. I feel like that's getting personal, and I don't want to like step on toes like that. But I feel like I don't like the stuff that she does with Ben. I yeah, don't know. The, the results speak for themselves. Like Melissa McCarthy is a great actress, as evidenced by her recent Oscar nomination, and she's really terrific in comedies when working with the right people. But I mean, just look at at the track record there. But with her collaborations with her husband, it's not great. And the, this footage from Super Intelligence did absolutely nothing for me. I don't yeah. know about you. This trailer opens up with McCarthy receiving a phone call from, I guess, an AI that um, sounds like James Corden. I guess that's a joke, and is obviously voiced by him. And he can control every computer and machine on the planet. And he's trying to decide what to, this AI is trying to decide the future of humanity based on her so he's following her around and she's just like a regular everyday woman right like there's nothing particularly special about her um yeah so (laughs) and like the there's like government agencies trying to get involved and and wondering why she's the one that that this ai is focusing on um i don't know man it just the the the, all the humor just sort of fell flat for me yeah there's like a scene at the end where she's like trying to get her car to turn on and obviously the AI is like preventing him from turning on and there's someone in the passenger seat who doesn't know that the AI is controlling her tech and it's the the comedy supposed to be from us knowing and he doesn't know and what but it's not funny at all yeah I don't know maybe it'll maybe it's one of those things that will play better in context because to be fair all of the footage that I saw for her movie Spy looked really really bad before I actually saw that movie and it ended up being great and working wonderfully in context and I think that's like one of my favorite movies of hers so that was uh that was Paul Paul Feig yeah yeah Yeah. um you know next we saw some footage from Blinded by the Light uh I think that trailer's online we're gonna see the the movie here so we won't we don't have to talk about that right now okay Uh, we got to see some footage from uh Dr. Sleep I mean it was a combination of it was like a featurette, right? Yeah, sort of talking heads with Mike Flanagan, the director. This is the sequel to The Shining, uh, based on Stephen King's novel. Yeah, and they played up that Stephen King is very involved in, in this film. Uh, we saw, like, a car driving into the woods, a uh, bunch of people around a campfire. You know, they pitching this as a continuation of the story of Danny Torrance, which I, I think when we first re- reported that Ewan McGregor was in this movie as Danny Torrance, like, people said that was a spoiler, but... I think that's like the premise of the book. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Um, And uh, you and uh, touches hands with the little kid. I don't know what what is going on here. I have not read the book. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, There was like a shot of like a woman walking with a needle behind her back. Mm. And uh, the last shot, I think, is probably the most iconic here is um, he's like in a dirty bathroom looking into the mirror and he sees red rum. Is it on the wall behind him or is it on the mirror? I couldn't tell. He's looking into a mirror, but it's it's either scratched into the mirror or reflected from the wall behind him. But, uh, yeah, obviously that's, like, the big word that's that's associated with that character from The Shining. So so what did you think of this film? Uh, I mean, it was so fast, but I really like the look of it. It's, it's a really dark-looking movie in terms of, like, actual light you know it, it's a all of the shots were very dark um but uh i'm excited to to dive back into that world i know that um you know that there's a lot of uh the shining is obviously held in reverence by a lot of people but um so making a sequel seems like a dangerous game but mike flanagan is a guy who's made a lot of stephen king adaptations recently and he seems to be uh, held in high esteem by a lot of the big Stephen King fans, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And Ewan McGregor is always great, so I'm, I'm happy to see him uh, in this film too. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Godzilla, uh, King of Monsters. Uh, they showed some footage 
uh, from this, but it was, it was footage that we previously reported on at uh, WonderCon, WonderCon this yeah. past weekend. Mm-hmm. So we will link in the show notes uh, description of that. And but, um, what is your reaction to this? We got to see a lot of um, the three-headed monster, Ghidorah, Ghidorah, yes, King Ghidorah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this looks like the scope of this thing is absolutely massive, and the the visual effects look super stunning. I mean, I, I have not really been keeping up with this one in terms of like all the TV spots and stuff like that. I've seen a couple of the the trailers that have been released, but man, my jaw was on the floor just looking at what Mike Doherty, the director, was able to do with this. So yeah. I, I'm excited to see, and I hope that the that the uh, human element is as impressive as the the visuals and stuff, because that was my big problem with Godzilla that came out in 2014. Well, all the action seems to be grounded in kind of the human point of view, which is kind of cool, and uh, the yeah, the, the like Godzilla firing his blast, very impressive. The color palette yeah. looks like oh, wow. they're kind of going off, uh, even pushing it, pushing it from like Skull Island mm-hmm. on with oh, the, yeah. the colors and like the yeah, it's really cool. I'm really <laughs> excited for this. Uh, what else do we talk about? The goldfinch? Is that something even that our people are going to care about? Um, I, it might be. Ansel Elgort is the, the lead in this, and I know that it's getting uh, a lot of early potential Oscar talk because it's based on a really, really popular novel, and the novel, I think, won a, a Pulitzer Prize. So there's, uh, it seems like a, you know, he, he came up on stage and was talking about how it was like an epic drama, um, and the footage that we saw sort of takes place over multiple time periods there's like a younger kid playing a younger version of him and his his mom dies um in a, a museum bombing or yeah, something a museum bonda- like. bombing and that seems to have affected who he becomes mm-hmm. which i'm not sure who he becomes he has this relationship with this other guy uh, there's some dramatic shots some real dramatic like him with a gun some, yeah uh, like blood, blood dripping splatter, yeah. but i don't know i'm not sure what the story is yeah. I, I don't know anything <laughs> about the book yeah, it looked beautiful. I mean, it was shot by Roger Deakins. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to Warner Brothers Animation. They did this kind of quick, like, sizzle reel, which took you on a tour of Warner Brothers Animation where they were singing a song and kind of took you through their upcoming slate, which showcased, um, what was the first one? Tom and Jerry? Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. Which they, I guess they showed a couple concept art from that. They teased Space Jam 2, Scooby-Doo movie, which is called Scoob yes. with an exclamation point. Yes. And uh, by the way, I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. And this looks exactly like I would want Scooby-Doo to look in CG. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it looks like he's, uh, I guess, relating to or interacting with other Hanna-Barbera characters in this. I noticed, like, uh, I think it was Muttley, like, seems to set off, like, one of those classic TNT plunger yeah. explosions. And, like, maybe a Jetsons character was in the mix in there, too. Yeah. So it looks like there's the, you know, the rumored Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe that's coming together. Yes. And I'm not even, that's not even a joke. <laughs> um, Motherless Brooklyn was the next thing we saw. We saw some footage from that. This is written and directed by Ed Norton. This is like, I guess, an old school gangster story-ish. Ed Norton plays... Is he? Does he have Tourette's? Yeah, he's a detective with Tourette's, which is yeah. an interesting choice. And especially, like, I wonder how that's going to play in 2019. And, you know, when our culture is, like, so... Um, you know, everybody has their hackles raised about any little thing. But, and and I'm this not is a period s- piece, so they're going to... Right. Um, 
they're going to, I'm sure they're not going to treat it like the people of that period are not going to treat it in a, you know, the way we would today. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And And we see like Bruce Willis, the guy that Bruce Willis plays, dies kind of in front of him and he was working on the case and he kind of has to take over this case. And this film also stars uh, Alec Baldwin and uh, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe, yeah. It looks interesting. Yeah. A throwback of sorts. Like almost a, like a Chinatown-ish. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like a classic noir mystery kind of thing. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this. You know, one film I wasn't expecting, uh, I wasn't expecting to see anything from it, and it, it wasn't expecting it to look like this, is The Kitchen. This is a film that takes place in Hell's Kitchen. It's based on the Vertigo graphic novel. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Tiffany Haddish. It's kind of like this hard-boiled, Norish mafia film that feels a bit like, I guess, if Scorsese had sex with Sin City or something. <laughs> I don't know. And then wanted to do a story that's more like The Widows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think you said something about The Widows. Yeah, right? said, that vibe. It, it, certainly, Widows, the, the Steve McQueen movie that came out last year about uh, all of the women who tried to uh, complete the robbery that their husbands failed to uh, failed to pull off seems like the easy comparison point for this movie because it's a, it's a similar thing. It's like they're, the, these women, it's a mob drama with these three actresses, and it's not a comedy, even though Tiffany Haddish and, and uh, Melissa McCarthy are starring in it. it they're playing this entire thing completely yeah. straight and I love that premise of these women banding together to do something that their you know their husbands couldn't accomplish They're trying um, to take over the city kind of like yeah, yeah and and Bill Camp who is great he's like a, a great uh, character actor seems to be like one of the big heavies that they're going up against so I'm, I'm excited to see that uh, that face off you know between those that that group that the trio versus Bill Camp um, and yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it seems like this a total, like, sort of win, uh, female empowerment kind of thing. Like, yeah. there's a part where uh, Melissa McCarthy's character's son says, Mommy, you look pretty. And, and she's like, Pretty doesn't matter. It's just a tool that women use. You know, it's sort of like hard boiled, like you're saying, a little bit of that Sin City kind of vibe. Hmm. Um, you know, I think we've seen a lot in recent years of, like, these kind of female led, like, movies of almost like the you've seen the male version of this, and here's the female version of this. And I feel like a lot of those don't end up working out because it, it's motivated, at least in my mind, like it's mo- like Ocean's... And not that I didn't like... Uh, what was it called? Um, Ocean's 8? Yeah. No, uh, was it Ocean's 8? Which one? The one, the recent one. The one that just came out was yeah. Ocean's 8, yeah. Ocean's 8, like I f- it, which I didn't hate. I liked it. But I feel like it's motivated by money and it's not uh, creatively motivated, which I talked about uh, on the podcast earlier today. And I feel like this, you know, this comes from a graphic novel, and I think, you know, this came creatively first, and I feel like this shows. I don't know. I, yeah. I can feel it in, yeah. in this. Yeah, I hope um, you're right. I hope the story is up, up to snuff. Uh, they did a kind of, like, sizzle reel of what they have in the works from their horror properties. I don't think we need to talk about... Uh, the Curse of La Llorona. Yeah. What about Annabelle Comes Home? Uh, we kind of see, like, their daughter breaks into the room of the artifacts of the, the Warrens. And starts exploring and then sees the rocking chair with no one in it rocking and Annabelle is missing. You yeah, know, there's, it's, it's typical conjuring yeah. verse kind of stuff, um, which is not bad. It's just it looks very yeah. same, very in line with what we've come to expect there. Okay. Warner Brothers ended their presentation with their finale was It Chapter 2. And uh, boy, did they, they brought out the entire cast from... W- w- with the adult character or adult actors next to their 
kid counterparts. Yes. Uh, we got to meet the Losers Club up on stage. Uh, the only one who wasn't there was, uh, I think his name is Jaden Lieberher, who plays yeah. Bill, uh, the, the younger version of Bill. He wasn't there, but everybody else was on stage. It was like the Avengers coming out at Comic-Con for the first time. Yeah. And they, they showed us kind of like the scene followed by some footage. So let's talk about the scene really quick. It's a scene where um, Jessica Chastain's character, Bev, Bev uh, is knocking at a door. And she's looking for Marsh, her father. She grew up there. And basically we learn that there's this woman living there. And the old woman informs her that her father has passed away. Right, yes. and she offers to make uh, give her a drink of water. Come on in, and Bev's kind of exploring the home, and she's seeing memories of her childhood. Yeah, yeah, she finds the postcard that has the poem, the January embers, winter fire poem that Ben wrote to her in the, in the first movie, um, and suddenly things start to get uh, a little off. Should, should we like say what actually happens in the thing, or should we sort of like? just leave it at that and let let the scene play out for people when they actually watch it do you think they're going to use this in a real trailer because this this was weird because it was like a it was like a half a scene and then yeah well, let's not let's not reveal what happens okay, so, it is so kind things of a go a little south from there we'll just leave it at that and what should we say from there uh, well, there's a lot of flashes of footage, um, stuff that book fans would certainly be familiar with. There's like the Paul Bunyan statue from the book uh, makes an appearance. Um, Bill Hader's character, the, the older version of Richie, is there. He looks really scared. Um, we see a reunion of the Losers Club yes. as adults, which is yes. kind of a cool, epic moment. There's this. Uh, there's a lot of iconic like, like imagery going on here. Like there's a shot of the night. There's like a night shot where there's hundreds of red balloons yes. like going up into the sky. Yeah. The, the adult version of the Losers Club comes back to the sewer that they, uh, you know, faced off against Pennywise in at the end of the first movie. Um, and then, of course, Pennywise himself comes back at the very end yeah. of the trailer. He says hello to all of us and cut to the logo. Uh, I think it's fair to say that we're both very excited. For yes. That. Yeah. As somebody who read the book and, and loved it, I cannot wait to see what they do here. I mean, I still think it's a weird choice to split this, this book into two movies because the book works so well as one unit. But that being said, I'm still I'm, I'm very excited by this footage. I feel like, you know, don't let me down. <laughs> well, my problem with that is, and I, I think I've said this on the podcast in the past, is that when you take the child uh, or the story with them as children out of it and mm-hmm. you make that the first film you're gonna have less of them in this the second film and i feel like i want uh, like the children yeah. uh, the coming of age side of this is kind of what makes the story so i'm kind of wondering how this film's gonna deal with that yeah there's one shot where the adult losers are looking in the uh, at their reflections in a storefront window and they see the reflections that they see are the kid versions of themselves yeah. so and we there's also some cross-cutting with them walking the adult versions walking down the streets of dairy that are totally empty and the kids riding their bikes down the street and it seemed like a new shot so maybe the kids are gonna be in it a little bit more than we think I hope fingers crossed because they were so great yeah. in the first movie yeah no I, I I want more of them for sure. But uh, I don't think this is going to be online because it's a it's not some it's not a like a normal trailer. It's yeah. like that scene. This is just for exhibitors, so you're probably going to have to wait a little bit longer. I mean, they have some horror films coming up, so maybe maybe they'll have something by then. But um, that is all we saw at Warner Brothers. I do want to say that we did record this video uh, traversing the labyrinth 
of movie posters and standees that are lined up in the convention center here at CinemaCon. I will link that in the show notes. Uh, you can continue to cover, uh, follow our coverage on this podcast and on SlashFilm.com. And uh, this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday. So if you want the latest movie news, keep on following this on whatever podcast app you use. And uh, please, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, send it to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Go to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.